This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, good morning to you, Real Talkers. It's uh, a special morning here on the show for a, a number of different reasons. Uh, I don't I don't know where each reason would rank, but uh, first of all, uh, it's new era here on the show. This is our very first broadcast, our very first episode from our new downtown Edmonton studio. We've been looking forward to making this move for quite some time, and our team has been working furiously behind the scenes, uh, including the show's technical producer, John Hicks, to make sure that we got here in time. So this begins a new era uh, for this show. Also, a new era in Alberta politics. I probably don't have to tell you that the United Conservative Party's leadership race culminated in a win, a sixth ballot win by Danielle Smith, who will swear in as Alberta's next premier later this morning. She's sitting down with me exclusively one-on-one in our very first episode from this location. We'll be keeping an eye on our live chat. Many of you have taken us up on our standing offer to submit your thoughts and your questions by way of email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And of course, you know, you can always hit us up on our hashtag as well. Charles Adler will join me later on in this show. We're going to celebrate a remarkable achievement by a member of our editorial board, journalist Brandy Morin, receiving the Edward R. Murrow Award for Journalism in New York City for a six-part feature series that she produced and hosted for Al Jazeera. English focusing on Canada's plight of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And of course, as it's the first show of the week, we'll also be bringing you positive reflections by Kubi Energy and a feature on The Leading Edge presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Before we get into our feature interview this morning, I want to remind you that the Covenant Foundation Lottery is still open for tickets. You're getting down to the wire right now. You don't want to push this to the final deadline. 30 years of life-changing wins ensuring that healthcare providers in the province, in particular the Grey Nuns and Misericordia Hospitals, have the resources that they need to provide patient care through Of course, the different challenges that exist, we know that people are utilizing these hospitals across northern BC, into Alberta, and across Saskatchewan. You can ensure that those healthcare providers have the resources they need by getting your tickets today. And of course, a shot to live in life-changing luxury, a $2.2 million dream home up for grabs. You can check out the website, covenantfoundationlottery.ca, to get your tickets today. And this interview is presented today by our friends at Local Environmental Services, a family-owned business operating across the prairies in Alberta and Saskatchewan. You know, whether it's front load bins, uh, perhaps you're doing a renovation project, maybe it's a fall cleanup in the yard, you need something covered, they've got you covered and you can keep it local. They believe that communities deserve better, better service, better prices, more support for local causes. I probably don't have to tell you local environmental services also presenting trash talk every Friday here on Real Talk. You can send us your gripe, your rant, your rave to our email address presented as always by local environmental services. You can always find more information on our sponsors by visiting the sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. No longer... Will Alberta ask permission from Ottawa to be prosperous and free? We will not have our voices silenced and censored. 
We will not be told what we must put in our bodies in order to work or to travel. We will not have our resources landlocked or our energy phased out of existence by virtue signaling prime ministers. Albertans, not Ottawa, will chart our own destiny on our own terms and we will work with our fellow Canadians to build the most free and prosperous country on earth. All right, that was uh, Alberta's next premier, Danielle Smith, in her acceptance speech just a few days ago. A sixth ballot win to take the leadership of Alberta's United Conservative Party and, of course, become premier. Premier-designate Smith joining me live in studio this morning, our very first interview from this location. Thanks for making time for us. So very, nice to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you, and too. And your digs are amazing here. Thank it's a, you. It's a beautiful location. So congratulations on having such a, a strong show. I mean, you've cut out on your own. Brand yeah. new media. It's amazing yeah. to have watched your success. So congratulations. Uh, I was looking. I mentioned that our, our former colleague, Charles Adler, uh, will be joining me later today. And, uh, John, I'm putting you on the spot, but could we call up that photo from the, the Global News 2019 federal election coverage? You look at this look at this roster you remember we were sitting on the desk uh you myself charles and sapria devetti uh, hosted by farah nasser and I, and I look at this photo and i think gosh a lot changes over just a few years none of us uh employ well with the exception of farah of course the host that night but none of us employed uh, anymore and here you are uh, about to swear in as alberta's next premier what goes through your mind when you see that photo that was such good times wasn't it yeah back in the day covering uh covering the the uh, federal election it was federal election yeah it was yeah, yeah that was election night it was, uh, you know, I loved being in media and I love being in talk radio in particular. The difficulty now is I've got to write out all of my speeches. You know how hard that mm. is. I've been used Well, I to, wouldn't know because well, I don't write my speeches. I know. I know. It's very different when, you, uh, when you're when you having conversations with people and listening and doing interviews. So it's going to be a bit of a transition going back to that life. It's been seven years since I was the, uh, last in politics. Yeah. Are I, you, really enjoy, I really enjoyed my time. Are you going to have to approach, um, and I want our conversation is going to be all over the place over the next 25 minutes, uh, half an hour or so. Uh, I've got a lot of questions for you. Our audience has a lot of questions for you, and sure. I'm sure that there's a message that you're going to want to uh, make sure that Western Canadians hear as well. Um, you and I have spoken in past about you know your, your willingness to entertain ideas that have, that have fallen outside of, let's say, scientific convection, or the norm, or what have you, right? You, you, you and I have talked a lot about this. Do you have to be more careful now or more cognizant of the ideas you entertain or the statements you make now that as premier... Uh, your words are going to go a long way. I mean, you could you could influence international investment with one tweet. Well, I, I think that I'm, I'm going to continue listening to all sides. I mean, I think there's a, a sad thing that has emerged in scientific inquiry called scientism, this idea that once a bunch of scientists have come to a consensus, you're no longer to do, allowed to do scientific inquiry anymore. And that's not what science is. Science is always a constantly evolving discussion. Thesis, counter-thesis, it, it has to be verified, it has to be independent. And then we discover new information. What I don't like about the, the last number of years is it seems that once one person has issued an edict, no one is allowed to challenge it. And that's not science, that's politics. So I do intend to make sure that I listen broadly and will hear from all the experts. That's what I tried to do on my show. And if there's something that is emerging as some kind of consensus, uh, if it's involving science, I'll, I'll be questioning. I certainly will, because I think we have to. I think that we there's too many areas that are now no longer open to discussion anymore. I'm sure you're paying attention to 
to, uh, you know, you, you've got your, uh, your supporters, uh, those that have sent you to this office, and you've got your critics as well. And, and one of the messages over the weekend that I've noticed is that uh, with such a, a minuscule portion of the population, relatively speaking, uh, voting in this United Conservative Party leadership race, many are saying that you don't actually have a mandate to govern. Now, you'll say, well, of course, technically, I do have a mandate to govern. This is how it goes. But what's your message today to the four and a half million Albertans that did not cast a ballot in the United Conservative Party's leadership race? I, I would say that the United Conservative Party has a mandate to govern. It got a very overwhelming mandate to govern in the last election. And I will continue on with some of the great work that Premier Jason Kenney had already started in attracting international investment and making sure we created an investment climate that is unmatched in the world and making sure that we're a welcoming place. I love the Alberta's calling campaign. I think we're going to continue doing that. But I think where I will pick up is on some of the promises that the premier made that wasn't he wasn't able to deliver on. I was just re-listening to his opening speech where he talked about the importance of liberty and making sure that we defend liberty. Now, he had this conception of liberty that was ordered liberty, and I think we saw what that meant in the last couple of years, and I think it's why he ran into trouble, is that people anticipated that he actually would have uh, respected the rights of citizens to make their own choice about what they put in their body. So I, th- I think I'm actually more in keeping with some of the original things that the, the UCP and the premier promised, as well as the push back against Ottawa. You have to remember the premier campaigned in the big blue truck going all over the province talking about how he was going to stand up to Ottawa. We were going to get our resources to market. And he tried a couple of different times to do that in a couple of different ways and it didn't work. So we have to try something new. So I feel like it's a continuation of the mandate that we got and will be tested in in May. I know that there were some trying to goad me into calling a snap election. I don't think early elections are generally what the public wants either. We do have a fixed election date. I thank the premier for that because we know what day it's going to be and that's what we have to work towards. And and we will put forward some ideas that I hope will we'll get a new mandate from the people. I will also say it's the, it's also the reason why I only campaigned on a very small number of issues. The, the premier, when he was doing his general election campaign, he talked about 375 campaign promise, promises. Now, I probably have 375 things that I want to do as well, but I thought it was important to just focus on the things that I think we can do in the next 60 to 90 days, um, mainly focused on dealing with the, the desperate crisis that we have in Alberta healthcare. We have to address that. We have to make sure that we're putting in place a structure so that people can't be discriminated against based on their vaccination status. And the third thing is that we've got to put the architecture in place to defend our constitutional freedoms, as well as the, the rights that we have as a, as a, as a, a province. There's a, there's a lot of like vaccination theme to what you're talking about, which isn't an accident on your part, I'm sure. But when it comes to governing, uh, you know, I, I would I would suggest and I think there's probably evidence to back it that the so-called anti-vaxxers or the vaccine hesitant represents a very small portion of the population. But if somebody's hearing you for the first time in this interview, it's going to sound like this is a pretty huge part of what's forming your perspective as premier. Can, can you give us some enlightenment into that? Certainly. I mean, I, I was shocked to hear Markham Hislop try to describe my brand of uh, of conservatism as a authoritarian populism. Authoritarian populism is what the world experienced over the last two and a half years. It was very popular to be authoritarian and to take away people's rights and deny their civil liberties and put a clamp down on free speech, freedom of the press, to force people to put something into their bodies, to fire them if uh, they wouldn't. That is authoritarian populism. I am a libertarian populist, and that's a very different thing. The root word of that word is liberty. And if you know anything about my history, 
you will know that I believe that the foundation of society begins with free individuals taking free agency to exercise their their own their own pathway and then we build out our society with families families support that 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 ba- the individual and then from there we need to have community so that if the if the first lines of defense fail we were there to pick each other up and related to that is free enterprise as well we're going to have a strong and vibrant economy if we have individual entrepreneurs free to be able to to make their own decisions so that is foundational to what i believe conservatism should be so i am trying to return us to what i think people expect our party to govern like and i think it's quite shocking to me how easily in this province and elsewhere, people have forgotten all of the values that we affirmed in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. If you read our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which we've been talking about since 1982, it has been suspended for the last two and a half years, and I'm just affirming it will not be suspended in this province any longer. It's easy, though, for you, for you to not, you're not governing. I mean, people will take issue with even my assertion here. I'll say you're not governing through a pandemic. People will say, well, COVID is still very much a reality, uh, but the stakes are different now. The landscape's different now than it was two and a half years ago uh, when the healthcare system was in crisis, when when the, the death counts, quite frankly, and the hospitalizations, the ICU population was was to the point where the healthcare system was set to collapse. Uh, and governments, I, I would think, uh, would argue today, looking back, that they had no choice uh, but to, to do everything they could to keep the healthcare system from being overwhelmed, from allowing COVID to, to, to run out of control, you know, I mean, are, are you in a position now where it's, it's it's a little bit easy to look back and be critical of what government had to do to keep the healthcare system intact and do their best to keep this thing from getting completely out of control? Well, unlike the, the sort of the, the mainstream narrative, I did make sure to look at other places that were operating differently, like Sweden, which was internationally condemned for taking a more traditional approach to dealing with pandemics. But then Christy Noem also did the same thing in uh, in the South, in South Dakota. And then uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida, after initially taking the same approach of locking down, decided to um, embrace the Great Barrington Declaration and focus protection of our seniors. And he did that pretty early on. My view was I think very much um, shaped by Dr. Ari Jaffe, who is a, a pediatrician at the Stollery. And early in the in the pandemic, he warned that the consequence of taking these uh, these uh, these approaches that we'd never done these are non-conventional approaches to lock down healthy people and lock down society and close businesses and interrupt school that is a non-conventional approach, and he said this will lead to more cause of death than COVID will. He actually quantified it to 10 times the loss of of life years. And I must tell you, we're beginning to see the manifestation of that now. I was just watching a documentary on the way over called Vancouver is Dying. I don't know the equivalent stats in Alberta, but there were, in the period they looked at, 1,800 COVID deaths and 3,000 overdose deaths. We have got a major mental health crisis that has been created because of job loss, despair, ostracism, bullying, the in and out of school for these young kids not being able to handle it. That to me is something we should have been mindful of from the beginning. That when you start putting these kind of measures in place, it has consequences on family breakdown and it has consequences on not diagnosing people with disease. It has consequences, if you talk to Dr. Raj Sherman, of people now showing up in the emergency room sicker than he's ever seen them because they haven't seen a doctor for the last two and a half years. And so I don't don't want to look in the rearview mirror because I do believe that we have turned a page, but we have to be very 
focused on the problems that were created over the last two and a half years, be honest about it, address them, and make sure we don't do this to society again. You and I will disagree on the Great Barrington Declaration. People can Google it. I don't want to spend this entire time litigating it, but they can do uh, their own reading on that. Uh, Speaking of your predecessor, uh, Premier Kenny, granted an interview with Global News just a couple of days ago. I'm sure you've seen it. He says uh, a party or a government focused on uh, recriminating uh, or recrimination over COVID, politicizing science, entertaining conspiracy theories, campaigning with QAnon is a party that can't form government and shouldn't. You referred to him as your friend, Jason Kenney, in your acceptance speech, but he's obviously speaking about you, and that doesn't sound like a friendly assessment of how he thinks you're going to govern. What's your response? Well, he's wrong, first of all, because I have always said that these are are medical choices that have to be made by person in consultation with their doctor. And I think we are going to see every year that a large number of Albertans are going to want to protect themselves with vaccination, both for influenza as well as for COVID. In previous years, I've looked at the influenza stats. It's about 33%. Um, Right now, the level of booster shots is at 39%. So I suspect that's going to be fairly consistent going forward. But the problem comes when government tries to force those who want to take a different choice into into making a, a medical choice they don't want to. And that's where I would draw the line. I think we have to get back to understanding that when you have a constantly mutating virus, as COVID appears to be, I think we had all hoped that we would have a sterilizing Im- immunity that came from the vaccines. It turns out that's not the case. It's a constantly mutating virus. Therefore, there's going to need to be a re- repurposing of the vaccine every year. And those who choose to take it are going to, to take it. A lot of people will have to make the choice about their own medical health, their own pre-existing conditions, about whether or not that's the right choice for them. But I'm going to respect that. I think that if we get into this situation where we think we can start forcing people to make medical choices, I'm very, I'm very concerned about where that will lead. And I won't do that. You've got to get yourself a seat in the legislature. Uh, the departure of former minister Doug Schweitzer means that the seat is open in Calgary Elbow. You've said that instead you will uh, seek uh, the seat uh, that's been vacated in Brooks Medicine Hat. You say that you didn't feel that rural Albertans were represented mm-hmm. adequately through the pandemic. The optics are that you're afraid you'll lose Calgary Elbow. For me, I think people know that I am, that my style of conservatism is, is very rural based. It, there should be no surprise at that. I mean, I chose to run in a rural riding the first time I ran into politics and I told uh, my, my team I wanted to run in a rural riding again. If you look at what has happened over the, the last three and a half years, we have a, a largely rural caucus. We've got 39 out of 41 seats that are not in Calgary and Edmonton and yet the bulk of the cabinet were from Calgary and I think what happened is that those rural voices really felt like they couldn't get on the radar, that there was an inner circle and then an inner an, an inner inner circle and they didn't feel like their views were, were getting elevated. So I wanted to especially because of the the way I ran the campaign, the issues that I chose, it felt to me like representing a rural riding was actually a bit more authentic. Calgary Elbow, as you know, is a very progressive riding. And we have some candidates who are putting their names forward there, who I think will be an excellent fit because our conservative family is very broad. But I want to make sure, and I've talked to uh, to the the person who's in charge of their nominating process, they want to have a a robust, open nomination race. And so I'm going to let that one play out and I'll, I'll run in, in Brooks Medicine Hat. You say that you know it, it, you're not compelled to call a by-election in a riding within a year of a general election, which is true. Uh, but you're also arguing now that you feel like rural residents were not adequately represented, and 
Albertans, taxpayers in Calgary Elbow, you've suggested they could take their concerns to an adjacent riding, but it sends a strange message, doesn't it? That, that your priority is representation of a rural riding, but you don't appear overly concerned that the re- residents of Calgary Elbow are adequately represented in the legislature. The optics are tough on this one. You, you, you've been to rural Alberta, right? You know how large the spaces are between different municipalities. It encompasses Medicine Hat and Brooks, as well as Newell County and Cypress County. That's four areas that would be without a representative. In Calgary, there's 23 or 22 MLAs uh, that are United Conservative Party, I think 26 in total. So I would say that it's a, a pretty different environment in Calgary versus a rural riding. Like, uh, but if like you go population-wise, they're, they're virtually identical. I don't of the two numbers of the different writings in front of me, but it would be virtually the same. I think you have to remember what, I mean, what issues emerge at the provincial level is what is the local healthcare like? What is the local schooling system like? What are the highways like? And I would just argue that there is a lot of overlap in Elbow and all of the adjacent writings. I think that those issues are going to be taken care of by the, uh, uh, by Tyler Shandro, I believe is who the, uh, the MLA assigned to that would be. And there's a lot of major issues that I've got to deal with in Brooks Medicine Hat. They've got an addiction crisis as well. They don't have an appropriate detox facility highway three is extraordinarily dangerous i want to make sure that that issue gets elevated as well Uh, so those are and we're going to hear as well from our agri-food producers about some of the challenges that they're facing in the in the rising cost of food and and we're all experiencing that in the grocery store so i i'm i like the diversity of the brooks medicine hat riding and i think i'll be able to bring those issues forward and in addition look if i was running two by-elections right now there's likely to be uh, the potential for uh, another another by-election opportunity to open i don't want to have a series of rolling by elections especially with the general election being in may i think that we'll uh, we're, we're going to, s- to stick with that fixed election window and if i'd called both of them then you'd be complaining that i was wasting money when we're so far so so uh, close to a general election so i'm just I, the voice of the people premier designate i'm not complaining i know, I know. Uh, you'll you'll uh, of course uh, any leader uh, or most leaders will put their own stamp on their cabinet uh and we're expecting a cabinet shuffle and, and maybe more significant uh because you're coming outside you're coming from outside of the party um, how are you going to manage that cabinet shuffle and, and what can Albertans expect? How are you going to prioritize it? And, and might there be more rural representation? I suspect based on your earlier comment that there may be. There will be more rural representation. You know, Preston Manning used to say, you've got to make a cabinet with the wood you are given. And we have been given some really great wood from the uh, from the people in the last election. There's some people who I think have really shone in different committee roles, as well as, uh, as other roles that have been not in cabinet. Uh, caucus leadership roles that I, I think are you're going to be very delighted to see elevated um, and but you do need to have a new face on this on this uh, this team as well because I think we have to acknowledge that part of the reason why we had a leadership race in the first place is that the people lost confidence uh, the uh, and the, the in particular our party members lost confidence in the leadership team so there will be some changes I want to make sure to give everyone a fair opportunity to explain to me what it is that they want to do in public life so a meeting with all of the MLAs over the next week and a half we're going to have a caucus retreat so that we can get together and have some social time and get to know each other's families. Like if you can believe it, that hasn't been done before. And then I'll be intending to make the announcement of who the co- the cabinet members are on October 21st before we go into our AGM so that everyone uh, uh, of our members c- get introduced to the new cabinet team at that point. And then they'll be sworn in on October the 24th. 
a statement from the the prime minister um, noting that he spoke with you uh, to congratulate you on your selection as the new premier to discuss key areas for cooperation. Uh, Of course, I think that your relationship with the prime minister is going to be an interesting one. You've promised that Um, and and a development over the weekend, I guess, uh, gone are the details of your proposed sovereignty act from your website. Uh, People are noting that. And uh, especially after one of your senior, uh, well, he's your transition chair, isn't he? Rob Anderson, your former colleague with the wild rose party acknowledged that, Uh, The Sovereignty Act would be required or would respect the decisions of the Supreme Court, but it would have, quote, a whole new head of very sharp teeth and it would change the dynamic with the Trudeau government. I can see Jason Kenney rolling his eyes on this because this was the promise he made to Albertans and Jason Kenney, an astute politician, if nothing else. So what are you going to do differently? What does the Alberta Sovereignty Act bring to the table that Jason Kenney wasn't able to? Let me go back to um, the conversation that I had with the prime minister, just so that you know a couple of the the ways in which I'm trying to find some common ground. There is a a COP27 meeting in Egypt on November the 8th, and I told him that we would be sending an Alberta delegation to that. A small one, but I I think that we have seen that Alberta, if we want to assert ourselves in drafting the policy around emissions reduction, we've got to be at the table. And we we do have some common ground and common discussion around carbon capture, carbon technology. Uh, we've, We've been pioneers on that with uh, a number of different projects here. We, we also have a hydrogen hub that we're developing, and I think Alberta is going to be the center of the Western Canadian development of hydrogen. We also have our, our friends in Germany who want to have an LNG export deal, and I've uh, indicated to the Prime Minister that we would like to arrange a trade mission to Germany to see whether we or not we can fill that need. So I, I want you to understand, like I'm not starting off trying to find areas of disagreement, but I did also ask if he would allow us to end our litigation on Bill C-6 by modifying the law so that it actually falls in compliance with the Constitution. And he uh, begged to differ with me on that, so we'll fight that one out. But that is a prime example of the way in which the federal government operates. They pass unconstitutional laws all the time. They should not be legislating in our areas of jurisdiction any more than we can legislate in their areas of jurisdiction. But they do. And then they force us to go through an an extensive court process to try to get the the laws struck down or rewritten. And in this case, with the the no more pipelines bills, as as it has been called, uh, if you look at how uh, our appeals court rendered their decision on that, 4-1 on our side, it says it's essentially a unilateral rewriting of the Constitution to essentially strip any real capacity we have to develop our resources. They never should have passed it that way in the first place. And now we have all 10 provinces on board with fighting it. So I'm saying that we need to flip the the, the tables, that we need to say we are going to rigorously defend all of our areas of constitution defined under the sections 92 principally, but 92A and others. And we will not enforce federal laws that violate that. They can take us to court if they want us to, to enforce them. Is the fight more important than a victory? The, I think the fight is important because we have a federal government that does not respect us. They do not respect us. And we've seen that. I would love to have the same level of respect to our areas of jurisdiction as they give to Quebec. For instance, Quebec has their own provincial CFIA, which is a, their regulatory body over agriculture. We do not. Quebec uh, chooses 55% of the immigrants coming into their province because they want to make sure that their culture and language are protected. We do not. We, I think, only have uh, uh, less than 10,000 provincial nominees that are chosen here, even though we have dire need in a whole variety of professions to uh, to be more 
more direct on that. And both agriculture and immigration are joint areas of responsibility. They continuously pass policy that target our oil and natural gas sector. They don't do the same thing to Quebec's aluminum industry or its cement industry or its hydroelectric power. I, I think that, that, that Quebec has demonstrated how the country ought to operate, that we are a jurisdiction that has its own ability to make exclusive choices in our areas. And for some reason, we've been acting like a subordinate level of government to Ottawa. We're, we're going to stop doing that. And I'm, I may have to reach out to our friends in Quebec and have a, a diplomatic meeting with Francois Legault to get some advice on how we set up our own uh, personal income tax, how we set up our own provincial police, how we move forward on setting up our own pension. The, the Sovereignty Act really is just a first statement in how we're going to fundamentally change our relationship with Ottawa to be a lot more like the way they treat Quebec. I wanted to ask you about a provincial police force. Uh, will you be canceling the contract with the RCMP as soon as possible? Is that one of your first orders of business? Our members had passed a policy saying they'd like us to have an Alberta provincial police that either replaces or augments the RCMP. So I'm going to start with augments so we can establish it very quickly. And the two areas, three areas that I, I would like for, it, for the Alberta provincial police to focus on are number one, this desperate mental health crisis that we have. If you watch that documentary I'd mentioned, Vancouver is dying. Um, it, is, it is a very dire what we're seeing and we're seeing it in Edmonton we're seeing it in Calgary uh, we have to make sure that if we have aggressive um, uh, uh, homeless and addicted population that we we have a specially trained force of people who know how to respond to mental health and addiction calls that would be one issue that I would I would like our Alberta provincial police to focus on secondly if you talk in rural Alberta they understand that the rural property crime is being driven by people who have an addiction problem coming out to rural Alberta stealing equipment so that they can sell it so they can feed their addiction so these two things are related so rural property crime is going to be an area that we want our Alberta provincial police to focus on. And we also still have a, a, a very troubling problem with human trafficking. And we, and we have to make sure that when we, when we close those operations down, that there is seamless support to often the young women who are involved in, in those operations to either return them to their home country if they want to return home or find them appropriate level of training so they can get into legitimate lines of work. Uh, Paul Brandt has done some amazing work on this. And so I feel like we need to have an Alberta Provincial Police to provide that entry point into all the social supports that we need to provide. So yes, we'll we'll move on that right away. Is there a precedent there with a with a, a provincial or a state police service or entity that would supplement a national entity? I mean, I'm 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 even just thinking of budgetary implications and I know that that's high on your priority list. Um, is there a model that you look at? Well, I would say I, I don't quite know. And this is why I'll have to talk with uh, our colleagues in Ontario and Quebec because they have provincial police as well. But it does seem to me that there are certain functions that the RCMP does and does well and should do well. Like if we're talking about gun crime, let's have them focused on cross-border smuggling. And let's have them focused on organized crime that operates cross-border. And let's have them focus on human trafficking as well that goes cross-border. Let's have them make sure that we've got tactical teams so that if we do end up with a, a threat, they're able to come in and, pro and provide that, that high level of service. Th those are the kind of things that I think the RCMP can do well and should do well. You're picking and choosing which firearms enforcement you want the RCMP to participate in. Correct. Real crime. Exactly. Not 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 confiscating guns from firearms owners who purchase them legally. That is not our priority. And you saw that uh, Justice Minister Tyler Shandro made a pretty clear statement on that last week, as did the uh, Premier of, uh, of, of Saskatchewan and the Premier of Manitoba as well. Uh, we, we're going to definitely be focusing on real crime and real harm 
and those uh, th- those those that are creating social problems. We're we're not going to be going after our legally um, our legal firearms owners. No. Hmm. Uh, the the United Conservative Party has one lone representative in Alberta's capital city of Edmonton, uh, Minister Casey Madu, and and we'll see what happens uh, with regards to the next general election. I had an opportunity to speak with the minister just a, a couple of weeks ago and and uh, off air, and and he's quite confident. I think that he could see continued success in Edmonton South, and and the internet might say differently, but the fact of the matter is, if you want to talk about jurisdictions that feel ignored, there may be Alberta and Ottawa, and then there's Edmonton and the provincial government how does edmonton get your attention and what will be your approach to to dealing with and and governing over alberta's capital city well casey madu will play a senior role in our government and uh, so that's one i would also say that edmonton's a little bit different than calgary remember calgary followed a unicity model so as it bumped up against another jurisdiction it swallowed it so there's 26 seats in in uh, calgary proper but there's only 19 in edmonton but look at our friend nate glubish as well represents a um a riding in the area same with uh, Dale McNally, uh, Jordan Walker, um, Cyril Turton. So I, I think that we actually do have really good representation in the capital region. And so I'm going to, to, to rely on their expertise to make sure that Edmonton's voice is heard. I, my view is that when you're premier, you have to be premier for all of Alberta. And I, I have a really great understanding of Calgary, having grown up there. I moved to rural Alberta in 2011, and I've been doing advocacy on landowner issues since 1997. So I have a really strong understanding of rural Alberta. I've owned a property in Boyle Street in uh, Edmonton since 2006 so tent city is only a few blocks away from the the condo that i've owned so i understand deeply the problems that we're facing in in downtown edmonton as well so i I feel like i because i've been around a long time i have a a pretty good understanding of each of the regions they have different needs but i'm looking for the areas where we have overlap where we can find common ground Uh, governing for all albertans you want to know what the most consistent question that i got on twitter when we announced that we were going to be talking to you is ask her when she's going to unblock me on twitter Uh, uh now I'm not going to be a I hypocrite. Can, I can answer. Uh, yeah, and I'm not going to be. Let me let me tee this up because I'm not going to be a hypocrite and suggest that I don't block people on Twitter because I do, and I'll block people on Twitter without apology. But I'm not the premier of Alberta. Do you have to approach access differently when you're the premier? Completely. I and I have already told my my team that anyone who's a, a thought leader and and giving uh, meaningful conversation and meaningful input and meaningful criticism, um, like I think Dave Kleimanhaga was one who got blocked. I thought, oh, we can't block Dave. And I think Max Fawcett just got blocked oh, by your account. Oh, can't block Max Fawcett. Those are two examples. And so my view is don't call me an F, don't call me a C, and don't call me a B. And if we, <laughs> if we can stay away from those, then you won't be blocked. I mean, it's, let's have a, I mean, we talk a lot about civility in politics and there is a way to have a civil conversation. You and I have areas of agreement and areas of disagreement. We've always been able to, to talk, I think, with each other without it without it deteriorating. And that's all I would ask. Let's truly just elevate the conversation. Let's stop the name calling. If you're going to call me names, yes, my team is probably going to block you. But if you're going to give uh, fair criticism, then I've got to be prepared to take it. I mean, I've been in a business where I have taken fair criticism. I've been on the other side where I've given fair criticism. So I do know that the um, politics, there's going to be a little bit of uh, reconfiguration and sort of retraining of the of the staff because they've gotten accustomed to things being done a certain way under the old premier. But I came from the mainstream media, as you know. I started on the editorial board of the Calgary Herald. I had a national current affairs talk show on Global. I was on Chorus Entertainment Network. I know the mainstream media has a role to play. They're not always going to agree with me, but we have to give them the respect for the job that they do. Let me ask you for clarification on a, on a statement that you made. Uh, and now that I have you here, I, I, I'd appreciate us digging into it a little 
little bit. Uh, you suggested that that members of the of the so-called civil service, that public servants could could find their employment in peril. My words, not yours. Uh, but essentially, the 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 suggestion was the implication was is that you're prepared to clean house uh, with non-elected uh, staff uh, if they don't essentially comply or fall in line. What did you mean by that? And what would be your message to Albertans, in particular those whose employment may feel threatened right now? Well, I hope that we can rebuild local structures. I think what happened in, and I'll tell you, it's, it's not across the board. It's mostly Alberta Health Services is in my sights because we've been told time and time again, leave it to the experts. We got this. We know what we're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They made that very clear. And COVID did not break the system. It, re, it just revealed the system was broken. And so when you want to restructure a major area of government spending that way, you have to be hands-on about it. I think what has happened, when you have a board of directors, a board of directors is able to operate as, as really more overseeing and caretaking. It, it requires a lot more in Alberta Health Services than that. I want to see us go back to more local decision-making at the facility level, more coordination of services, at the regional level to make sure that all of our economic regions are properly supported. We need to fix EMS. Um, we have pledged both myself and Travis Tate, the, uh, the, the, uh, the other uh, main front runner in the, in the race, that any uh, municipality that wants to return to the kind of tri-services model that we have, we want to be able to facilitate that because it works in many rural communities where they have cross-trained their fire and their paramedics. Those kind of structural changes will not happen unless it's being directed by the, the premier and the health minister. And so those are the uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that we can preserve um, all of our frontline jobs. I think that's one of the things that we have to be aware of is that we have not given enough support to our frontline. It seems like all the managers have managed to protect their positions, but we have put our nurses and frontline people, personnel in a situation where they are chronically understaffed. And then those who work full time are being asked to work mandatory overtime and give up their vacation. They're completely burnt out. And then there's no reinforcements that come in so i would say that the front line should be should should know that help is coming that we want to make sure that we are um, staffing the front line properly and if it means that we're going to be reducing some of those bureaucratic layers of managers and that administration yeah they should be a little bit worried at that level you've got a swearing in to get to and and, and your team's given me the look through our beautiful new glass doors here in the studio uh, i want to thank you for your availability on what, what i know is a big day for you it's a big day for us as well and i look forward to future conversations yeah my pleasure good to see you we'll do this again you as well that's uh, alberta's premier designate danielle smith this conversation is made possible thanks to sponsors like friesen brothers more than 16 Alberta communities. Friesen Brothers has been operating for more than 65 years, family-owned and operated. You can check them out online at Friesen.com, including, of course, some of their monthly specials like the Alberta Beef and Pumpkin Stew. We brought some Friesen Brothers offerings out to our family in Saskatchewan over this past Thanksgiving weekend. You know, they don't have access to Friesen Brothers out there, so you better believe they were loving, in particular, those sourdough cinnamon buns. That's our personal recommendation. You can find those at Friesen Brothers across the province of Alberta. You know, if you're like the thousands of families right now that are tightening their purse strings, trying to find ways to make ends meet or to make budget adjustments, 
Interest rates are higher. The cost of living is up. Why not visit parkpower.ca today? Your friendly local utilities provider with electricity, natural gas, and internet. You can compare rates in one or two minutes and make the switch quicker than you'd believe. If you use the promo code 2022-REALTALK, you're going to save $70 off your first bill. And that's just where the savings start. Don't believe me? See for yourself online today at parkpower.ca. Apex Automation is putting out the call to skilled and talented engineers across the country. They're building an incredible team. You know, their team has tripled over the past couple of years. Why? Because they value people more than anything else. They're giving people back their time, not just their clients through automation and engineering, but their team members as well. Corporate culture is huge with the team at Apex Automation. If you're feeling unfulfilled or unchallenged in your current engineering job, visit apexautomation.ca today to check out the careers link. And I mentioned that road trip for us as a family out to Saskatchewan. You know, we've got a lot to haul. We've got the dogs. We've got the little guys. Of course, we've got the special offerings, too, for those family feasts. That's why I was thrilled to have my Dodge Ram crew cab, John. The Longhorn performed like you wouldn't believe on the highway. Oh, yeah. That Longhorn, a perfect family rig. But maybe you're looking for something a little bit different. Maybe you're looking to downsize because fuel costs twice as much now than it did just a few years ago. The teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge have Alberta's best selection of Ram trucks along with the Jeep and Chrysler lineup. You can chat with them and shop online today or go see them in person. You make sure you let them know that Real Talk sent you. Well, it feels great to be back in the chair after a week away. This gives me a chance to check in on our live chat as well. And we're grateful for the folks that are joining us this morning. Of course, we're streaming on YouTube. And of course, you can find us live streaming on the Mixler audio app as well. And of course, this live chat is humming. A lot of you have, of course, your thoughts on what you've heard from uh, Premier Designate Danielle Smith. And, and we'll be reviewing these. Keep in mind, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. So through the course of this week and the weeks and the months to come, of course, we'll be talking to experts. We'll be talking to activists. We'll be talking to opposition politicians that will all have their take on the significance of Danielle Smith's victory and her leadership of the United Conservative Party. Folks uh, curious uh, to know what Charles Adler is going to say about this. And, uh, and and of course, this is a guy that pulls no punches and, and has not through the course of his career. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that conversation. Uh, John, why don't, why don't we hop on to uh, this week's feature presented by our friends at Leading edge physiotherapy it'll give us a second to figure things out with charles adler want to make sure of course that we have him locked and loaded and ready to go every tuesday on this show we focus on innovation we focus on difference makers we focus on things that have caught our attention because they're making an impact in their sphere it's the leading edge presented by our friends at leading edge physio Check this out. This one was actually submitted by a real talker by the name of Brinley. And I don't know if Brinley and her family ordered one of these already, but how cool is this? Have you heard of Hoop? H-U-U-P-E. It's the world's first smart basketball hoop. 
How cool is this? It's a regulation-sized basketball hoop built for your home or gym. It can be installed inside or outside. Basically, picture a Peloton for basketball players. That's right. The entire backboard is a huge screen. And so, yeah, yeah, you can watch TV if you want while you're playing basketball, but I don't think that that's what the inventors had in mind. Hoop can track your exercise. It can log how many shots you've made, how many shots you've missed. It can analyze how your form looks on that jump shot that can be so difficult to perfect. Even cooler, it can track your progress and it can pitch you against your friends or other basketball players around the world. Hoop is on the cutting edge of where technology is taking recreational sport. Of course, it's no wonder that so many people have caught on here. They're taking pre-orders. Once it's installed, you just plug it in and play. And that's why so many people are so jazzed about Hoop. Hoop is the world's first smart basketball hoop. It's making sport more exciting. It's making sport more informative. And of course, it's bringing enthusiasts of sport together around the world. And that's why Hoop is on this week's edition of The Leading Edge, presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. Well, it's a big day across the province of Alberta, and I think it's safe to suggest as well that Canada will have its eyes on Alberta as we get more of a sense of what Premier-designate Danielle Smith's leadership will mean. Uh, this morning, we endeavored to get a sense of what her top priorities will be, and I, and I think we did. In particular, her comments about a provincial police service. Of course, there are Alberta pension plan implications as well. Both of these you may describe as part of the legacy that will be left by Alberta's outgoing premier, Jason Kenney. But what else is at stake? We know that there are educational implications here. Uh, Premier-designate Smith, through the course of her campaign, talked uh, about strong support for alternative education structures like homeschooling. We expect that charter schools and other forms of delivering education will see stronger support under a Premier Smith than they did under previous provincial leaders. Healthcare. As an Albertan, you are right to be concerned about the state of Alberta's health care. We constantly and consistently hear about burnout. We hear about staffing crisis. We know that the structure has not just been strained, but pushed to the brink of collapse. Now, this is a tall order for Alberta's next premier. And as she indicates that she's prepared to go to war with the board of Alberta Health Services, one may rightfully wonder what that will mean for healthcare delivery across the province. If her focus is to be rural, there are specific concerns for rural residents, availability of family doctors, availability of surgical procedures. We know across the country, millions of surgeries, literally millions of surgeries have been delayed or canceled as a result of COVID-19. And we're seeing that manifest itself in Alberta as well. That will demand a solution, and Albertans will be expecting that. And then, of course, there is the campaign that she will run for election in Brooks Medicine Hat. Now, there's an interesting side story here at play, and, and that is involving Brooks' former mayor, Barry Morishita. Now, Barry Morishita, of course, now is the president of the Alberta Party. 
Folks have been wondering what the Alberta Party's plan will be moving forward. There will be a lot of talk about the official opposition, the New Democrats, led by former Premier Rachel Notley. And we hope to speak with Ms. Notley this week uh, or potentially over the next couple of weeks. But what about the Alberta Party? If that party is to earn its way back into the legislature, its best shot may be in the riding of Brooks Medicine Hat. Barry Morishita was a popular mayor there for many years, of course, also serving as president of what was then named the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. Now, will Barry Morishita defeat Danielle Smith in Brooks Medicine Hat? And what would be the implications for Alberta's sworn in premier after that? I don't know. Barry's got his work cut out for him, but you better believe that he's prepared to fight like hell. So that's going to be a by-election worth keeping an eye on. It looks like we're having maybe some issues getting in touch with Charles Adler, which is is, uh, disappointing. I guess the best thing that we can promise is that if we don't have Chuck this morning, we can troubleshoot and make sure that we have him to lead off tomorrow morning. And I'm sure it'll be rip roaring. I was looking forward to it. Yeah, me as well. So (laughs) so that's what we'll do. So so we're going to call it. And John, I know that you've been working hard uh, behind the scenes to try to make that happen. How how are you settling in? (laughs) I want to take a second to give you an incredible shout out here and the credit that you deserve we took but one week off and in that week we moved from studio 1.0 to studio 2.0 and it Mm -hmm. would be impossible for me and maybe a little bit boring to go through all of the things that you accomplished over these past number of days but how are you feeling now that the work is for all intents and purposes done i'm feeling great it was like a learning experience so now you know freelance you want a studio built i'm here for you but yeah a lot of chords a lot of boring monotonous stuff running a chord here checking the chord works okay staple it down uh but as you can see on the screen right now this place is incredible and it's only going to get better it's it's not fully done yet right we only had that one week so yeah. we still got to put some uh we got some art to hang on the walls here yeah yeah we, we, we but uh but just a beautiful job john and you deserve a ton of credit Thank and, you so and, much. and we're excited about about the energy that this is infusing into this new show there's going to be implications for our patreon supporters uh, we can't wait to host you live in studio we've got some great stuff in store you can learn more about supporting this show quite frankly this move would not be possible uh, without those of you that commit to supporting this show and our mission uh, every month. You can learn more about supporting us through Patreon on our website, ryanjesperson.com. I want to drop back into our live chat here to get get a sense of of where some of you were at as you heard from Premier-designate Smith. Now, depending on when in the day you hear this interview, if you heard it live, uh, then of course, in about an hour and a half from now, she's going to swear in. If you're hearing this later in the afternoon, the evening, or or heck, a month from now, she's already sworn in. And we'll get more of a sense of what her top priorities are. But but Tracy makes a good point when it comes to the dismissal of, of public servants. And you wonder if that was maybe uh, Premier-designate Smith setting the tone or, or, or trying to send a message as opposed to actually revealing a serious plan. Uh, Tracy says, just think about the severance payments uh, that would be paid out. If you're a taxpayer, it's going to be an expensive couple of years. Now, sure, if that were to actually happen, she'd be right. Uh, Now, you have to wonder about the wisdom of that type of a move. 
Now, keep in mind, public servants are used to serving under different premiers and oftentimes under different party leaders. There was not a mass house cleaning when Rachel Notley took over for Jim Prentice. There was not a mass house cleaning, though some people may diff- may beg to differ if their livelihoods were impacted, but not a mass house cleaning of the public service when Jason Kenney took over from Rachel Notley. So what could the next two weeks or six weeks or 26 weeks look like under Premier Danielle Smith? We'll find out. Daily BMJ says decentralization is what I picked up from Premier-designate Smith, and that sounds good to me. Joan wonders where uh, Premier-designate Smith leaves uh, people like Ron Orr. Uh, Ron Orr, of course, an MLA. Remember the name, the Minister of the Status of of Women, much to the chagrin of uh, many Albertans. Joan says he believes that God brought Jason Kenney to Alberta. I wonder what he thinks of Danielle Smith. Uh, Lynn suggests that Danielle Smith may have chased the doctors away, uh, leading to a staffing shortage. That might be giving her a little bit too much credit right now. Uh, She's not yet served as premier. But as we point out time and time again, and forgive me for stating the obvious, it's much easier to oppose or in Danielle Smith's case, much easier to campaign than it is to govern. So when she indicates, as she did here in this interview in the first couple of minutes, that one of her top priorities and one of her first orders of business will be to fix health care, we'll be paying keen attention to see how she does that. It sounds like some restructuring at the top is in store. That sounds like a pretty obvious conclusion to reach. But when it comes to staffing in the rural areas, when it comes to restoring or repairing the morale of healthcare workers that have been strained and stressed and pushed to the limit for the past two and a half years, where does that work begin and how does it play out? Now, we're curious to know how you feel when you've had a few minutes to think about this and to process the interviews that you hear here on Real Talk. And that's why we want to remind you that our email inbox is open 24 hours a day. You can get us to talk at ryanjesperson.com anytime. And of course, every month we select an email of the month. We'll ship a Real Talk official studio mug free to one of you, to the author of the email that most prompts thought and discussion among the audience and the host of this show we welcome your feedback and we'll leave time through the wednesday to friday of this shortened week to get to some of your takes on what you heard from alberta's premier designate positive reflections are coming up and it's a very special edition in just a moment as we recognize uh, an associate or an affiliate certainly a wonderful friend of this show for a remarkable achievement over the weekend but first I want to remind you that the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park have their fall blizzard lineup ready to go and the star of that show if you ask me is the pumpkin pie blizzard that's right feast your eyes on this pie this is the fan favorite available for just a short period of time the fall blizzard menu absolutely chock full of options that the entire family is bound to enjoy you can find the new fall blizzard menu plus the signature stack burgers like that loaded steakhouse stacker at 
at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. We're grateful for the support of the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you that now is the time. It's never too soon to start thinking about bringing your outdoor space to life in the spring. They're a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. And while they may be putting the shovels away in the next few weeks as they prepare for that ground to freeze and the snow to fall... They're going to start working on permits. They're going to start placing orders for unique and eye-catching landscape materials that really pop. You know, with supply chain issues these days and competitive markets, sometimes it can take months for that perfect element to arrive. That's why you want to make contact with Mike and his team today at Eden Landscaping. You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, the first show of every week, we wrap with a focus on something that's filled our bucket, something that's inspired us, maybe something that's made us proud, something that's restored our faith in humanity, or something that's challenged us in the most positive way. And we're dedicating this week's positive reflection presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy to our very good friend, journalist Brandy Morin. Brandy has been on the show many times. As a matter of fact, we're so proud that she contributes her expertise and her perspective as a member of the Real Talk editorial board. Well, this weekend, she was in New York City attending what's oftentimes described as the Oscars of journalism. That's right. Brandy Morin, a recipient of an Edward R. Murrow Award in New York for her six-part series on Al Jazeera English, focusing on and telling the stories of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Brandy has been a fearless advocate for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls in Canada, as well as First Nations communities. Of course, you know that if you've paid attention to her career. But as we saw her take the stage last night to accept that award, I was emotional, not just because of the implication of this. Millions of eyes on the stories that Brandy is telling, but also, of course, on what this says about Brandy herself. If you follow her on Twitter at Songstress28, you know how significant this is to her. Brandy tweeting yesterday, quote, for this small town girl who once thought she was nothing, moved through foster homes, surviving rape, single motherhood, to being in New York City preparing to accept the top award for journalism in the world, the Edward R. Murrow. Brandy says, I am unleashing my voice of fire of course the title of her book which is selling out in bookstores across the country and around the world says brandy so many laughs and so much joy and that has filled our bucket to know that her efforts are paying off to know that the women who have tragically disappeared are being respected that their stories are being told that the focus of not just this nation, but people around the world will be on this epidemic in large part because of Brandy's fearless journalism, her award-winning journalism. 
Brandy Morin, from our team to you, on behalf of this audience, we congratulate you. I'm excited to let you all know that once Brandy's back from her visit to New York, she will be joining us here on Real Talk. And of course, if you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at Real Talk RJ, if you subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message email, it's free, of course. You can sign up at the bottom of the page on our website. We'll keep you posted on exactly when that interview will be. Positive Reflections is presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get your free solar quote today. And don't forget to ask them about the Canada Greener Homes Grant. It's a $40,000 interest-free loan so you can go green at home. Well, there it is. A wrap on our very first episode from our new Real Talk studio. We thank you for tuning in. We did it. (laughs) Now we can say that. Now that we're at the end of the show, John. Thanks to everybody who visits Real Talk on the daily. Thanks to those of you who pop by today, maybe for the first time. It means a lot to us when you like our content, when you subscribe to our channels, and most importantly, when you share the interviews that have resonated with you. We'll see you again tomorrow, live at 8.30 or later on demand. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.